Is anyone else nervous about 2017? Okay, it's, it's a new year here. We've got a new president coming in in two weeks, whom some love, some hate, but everyone agrees is a bit of a wild card. Um, we've had mass shootings. We've had another one, Fort Lauderdale Airport. If you've been following the news, that was heartbreaking. Racial tensions were, were at an all-time high over the last couple decades last year, and unfortunately, I'm expecting it to continue. We got, so we got racial tensions. We got Russian hacking. We got Kylie Jenner. She's just everywhere, man. You cannot escape her. But man, it's, it's kind of a scary 2017. And what's interesting is everybody in the country agrees that there's a problem. Okay? Nobody I ever hear is saying that things are awesome around in the U.S. right now. Everyone agrees there's a problem, but they disagree with what the solution is. Well, a couple months ago, I was, I was reading about these things called Christian virtues. And what these are, these are ethical values that have been a part of the church for 2,000 years. And I was reading, as I was reading some of these, I was like, this this is what the world needs right now. This is what the world needs right now. And that was actually the birth of what's now this series. So I picked three of them. I picked three of these Christian virtues that have been a part of the church for a couple thousand years, that have been hallmarks of the Christian church, that I believe our world desperately needs right now. So we're going to spend three weeks talking about self-control, uh, talking about gentleness, and talking about patience. I mean, don't you think this world would be a lot better if we had more self-control, more gentleness, and more patience? I mean, I know my life certainly would be better, and I'm guessing your life would be a lot better as well. So that's what we're going to look at, and we're going to start with self-control. We're going to start with this idea of self-control. Now, I mean, I have to confess to you, I don't have self, great self-control. I don't, okay? So in preparation for this sermon a few weeks ago, I had planned out this week. I was going to do an experiment in self-control. So waking up at the, the same time, going to bed early at the same time every night, reading my Bible in the morning, exercising, eating better, cutting out soda and sugars and bad stuff. I was going to do an exercise of self-control to kind of see if I could live sort of a monk-type life. Well, it was a colossal failure, <laughs> okay? I didn't even make, last the first day. So we worked at the new church almost every night. Which meant I came home, I was tired, which meant, and when I'm tired, I don't know about you, but when I'm tired, I want to reward myself. So I was constantly rewarding myself. I worked late, so I slept in every morning, and, it, and, then, and then later in the week, before I made egg rolls, and I love our family recipe egg rolls, and they were delicious, so I totally lost self-control there. So it was, it was a terrible self-control week. And here I'd be like, I have to stand in front of a bunch of people and preach on self-control. I can't even pull this off for a couple days. Man, so, so this, is, this was a very humbling week and a bit of a challenging uh, sermon to put together, knowing how bad I am at self-control. So now, how about you? How are you at self-control? Do you, do you have a lot of it? Are you a very disciplined person? Or do you not have a whole lot of it, and you're not a very disciplined person? 
So when you think of self-control in your life, what are some of the areas where you feel like you need the most self-control? Let me throw out a few of them, see if any of these resonate with you. Maybe it's in your words. Do you speak first and think later? Have you ever regretted something that you said to someone? Have you ever hurt somebody by the words you say and then you wish like as they're coming out of your mouth, you wish you could just shove them back in your mouth? Is that you? Okay. Maybe you need a little more self-control with your words. Okay. How about with your reactions? Are you a reactionary person? Um, do, you, do you do that? Do, do you kind of react to whatever happens around you? Do you get angry? Do you get really depressed, but then you're fine five minutes later? Okay. Are you a very reactionary person? How much does it take to send you over the edge? Maybe your reactions. You need a little more self-control. Okay. How about your work, your work life? Do you do the minimum just to get by? Or maybe you're not working right now, and you tell everyone you're looking for a job, but in your heart of hearts, you know you're not. You're just flaking off, and you're loving life because everybody else around you is taking care of you. Maybe in your work, you need a little more self-control. Okay? How about in your time? Do you binge? Do you procrastinate? Do you set up a plan and then just give up on it? How about your time? Okay. How about money? How are those credit card balances going? Do you rack up some stuff? Are, you, are, you, are your credit cards kind of getting thicker and thicker as the months go on? Do you spend money you don't have, figuring you'll do something at some point? So how about your money? Or how about your health? How's your eating? How's your exercise? What was your last trip to the doctor like? Those are all places and areas where we need self-control. And I'm guessing at least one of those resonated with you, connected with your life. Maybe you're batting six for six on that. <laughs> then you really need to listen up for today. Let God speak to you. Let God give you some insight into self-control. Well, why is it with these areas, with all these areas, they are so hard? Why is saying no so hard? Well, I mean, that's a complex question, but I think one of the answers, one of the answers to that question is that we forget something that the Apostle Paul remembered. And he talks about this in this little tiny book that he wrote to one of his protégés. This was, this was a man named Titus. He worked under Paul. He was kind of like Paul's mentee. And, and Paul was training him to pastor churches. So one particular church that Paul planted was on the island of Crete. And if you're familiar with the Mediterranean, picture the Mediterranean in your head right now. Find Greece, find Turkey, draw a little triangular line south. Crete is a little island in the middle of the Mediterranean. And Paul planted a church there in Crete and left Titus to pastor it. And then Paul continued on his church planting journeys. So Titus was pastoring this church, and Paul wrote him a letter with one big theme. It was a little tiny letter, only three chapters, that's it. It was a small letter with a big theme. And Paul wanted to make a point to say that belief in Christ must be accompanied 
by godly living. Okay, let me say that again. Belief in Christ must be accompanied by godly living. That was the theme that Paul gave through all three chapters of the book of Titus in this letter that he sent to his protege. And fundamental to godly living is the idea of self-control. You can't live according to the ways God desires us to live without self-control. It just can't be done. In fact, Paul knew this. It was so important to Paul that he spent a third of his book talking about self-control. I mean, when, you're, when you've only got three chapters and you spend one whole chapter talking about self-control, then that's a third of your book. But that's how important it is. And so what Paul does, we're going to look at chapter 2 of Titus. And so what Paul does is he starts the first sort of two-thirds of the chapter addressing four audiences. Four audiences. He talks to older women, younger women, older men, and younger men. Now, with respect to non-binary genders, those four categories pretty much cover most of us. Old men, young men, old women, young women. And so Paul talks to each one of those audiences and, and, and talking about what does godly living look like for each of those audiences, those groups. But what's interesting is there's one thing he says to all four groups. It's the only thing that he says to every single group. And he talks about self-control. All four of those groups, he emphasizes self-control. And then, after talking about all four of those groups, he shifts into a few verses that gives the explanation. It gives the how. Because it's one thing to just say, hey, you should be more self-controlled. See ya. Okay? It's another thing to explain how do I do that. Like, come on. Like, like if I were to stand up here and say, we all should be more self-controlled. Am I telling you anything you don't know already? I mean, come on. We all know that area in our life where we need more self-control. That doesn't do you any good. That doesn't do me any good. But give me the how. Explain the secret to self-control. Change my orientation to self-control. Now that's helpful. And that's what Paul does. So in the last section of chapter 2, he gives the how about self-control. And that's what we're going to look at today. Now, we don't have it up on the screen, so if you have the Bible on your phone, this is a great day. Pull out your phone. If you've got your print Bible, grab that. Um, I apologize for not having it up on the screen, but this will be a great day to, to follow. If you've got the Bible app, pull that out, open up Titus, um, and then go to chapter 2, scroll on down to verse 11. So we're going to start with verse 11. So Titus 2 11 and then to 14. So just a few verses. Yeah, so again, that's Titus 2, chapter 2, starting at verse 11. So this would be a good one to follow on, on your Bible app if you got it. If not, and then poke ahead over the shoulder uh, for someone else. Okay, here we go. And I'm reading out of the NIV, so you can set, set your version to that. Here you go. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, 
the appearing of the glory of our great, uh, great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So figured out self-control now? Got that? Understand that completely? Okay, that, that was a little heavy. In fact, one sentence there was, was almost like 50 words long. So that was just a long run-on sentence. I think, I think my old high school English teacher would have docked Paul for that one. Okay? But so we're going to break this down a little bit. And sometimes in Scripture, breaking down by verse isn't even good enough. Sometimes you have to even go down by phrase by phrase. So that's what we're going to do. And I'm going to walk you through this and to help you understand what Paul is going here. So, so you can follow along on your phones. Again, so don't feel at all um, concerned if you're staring down at your phone. Um, just, yeah, there we go. Sorry. Um, don't worry at all about that. You're following along, and, and I'll read verses as we go. Okay, so, so we're going to go kind of phrase by phrase. Let's start with the beginning, the beginning verse. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Now, that is a strange place to start talking about self-control. Grace. Now, the first definition, grace is getting what we don't deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Now, mercy is not getting what we do deserve. But today we're talking grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Now, it's a strange way to start talking about self-control, talking about God's grace. Because you think, if you do a Google search on self-control, some of the things you'll read about, you'll read about things like willpower. You'll read about boundaries, accountability, making smarter decisions, community support, all of those, any of those, wouldn't that be a lot smarter to start with when it comes to self-control than grace? Well, Paul has, has an idea here because grace, again, remember grace, it's getting something you don't deserve. And what is the best, greatest thing that none of us deserve? That's God's love God's forgiveness, and as Paul writes, God's salvation. Okay, we deserve to pay the penalty for our wrongs. But what Jesus Christ did, God sent his only son so that he could pay the penalty. He could pay the penalty for our wrongs. Again, it's what we don't deserve. That is the ultimate act of God's grace was Jesus Christ dying on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins so that we could spend an eternity in heaven with God. That was God's greatest act of grace. And that's where Paul starts. And so, so we'll start there. Remember that one, grace. Now, I also want you to remember a word. One of the words in there is it says, it starts with in saying that the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation. So remember that word appeared, okay? It's gonna come back, it's gonna come back in a few minutes. Here we go, let's go to the next phrase. Ver verse 12, it, referring to grace, it teaches us, grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Think about that for a sec. God's grace teaches us to say no 
And isn't that fundamental to self-control? Like bottom line, self-control just comes down to you got to say no to something. I got to say no to like that fourth egg roll or that 14th egg roll. Like I got to say no. That's fundamental to self-control. And it's God's grace that teaches us. And now that, that's an interesting phrase. That, that Greek word for teach isn't like what I'm doing here. It's not or like what your high school teacher that you've tried to forget does, okay, and did back in math class. No. What this word teach is actually a much bigger term. It's the term that is used for parents raising up a child, teaching a child. So it involves instruction, love, modeling, correction. So this is much bigger than just kind of God talking at you. That God's grace raises you up, matures you, grows you up in saying no. And it's by his grace. So he says two things that we can say no to is, um, is ungodliness and worldly passions. I can, I can guarantee anything wrong that any of us want to do is going to fall into one of those two categories. Ungodliness, worldly passions. Okay? And God's grace teaches us, trains us, grows up us up in the ability to say no. Now, let's go to the next one. So, and not just finish. There are some things God wants to have us say no to, but there are things God wants us to say yes to. And that's the next phrase. And, so again, God's grace teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So God's grace not only trains us and coaches us and grows us up to say no, but it trains us and coaches us and grows them up to say yes. Because part of godly living, remember Paul's big theme? The Christian life must be accompanied by godly living. And godly living, self-control, is a combination of saying no to the bad stuff, the stuff that hurts us, the stuff that hurts our families, and says yes to the good stuff, the good stuff that builds us up, that grows us, that draws us closer to God, makes stronger families, healthier bodies, better lives, to say yes to the good stuff. And God's grace coaches us to do that as well. Say no to the bad stuff, say yes to the good stuff. Now, at this point, at this point, he transitions. He transitions in the paragraph, and then he continues to say, he says, while we wait for the blessed hope. Blessed hope. Okay, now, now that's a great old church word. There are hymns written about blessed hopes, all of that, and, and that just sounds good. Even if you have no idea what that means, that just sounds good. I mean, you throw hope into anything, it immediately sounds good. Okay? Star Wars Episode four, A New Hope, excellent. River Life, Hope and Healing, excellent. A Blessed Hope, excellent. So we don't even know what that is yet, but it sounds good. Now Paul explains what he means by his blessed hope. The next phrase. The blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. There you go. Now that's the blessed hope that Paul's talking about, is the, the appearing, the, and really that's a reappearing, because there will be a day when Jesus comes back. Jesus left, but he's coming back, and he's coming back to bring his followers 
home to heaven. Now that, that beats episode four any day. Well, maybe. Okay, no. <laughs> Was that sacrilege? No, but, but it's true, okay? That the, that the great, that's why it's called great and glorious because it's going to be great when Jesus comes back to take his followers, those who have said yes to him, to take those people back home to heaven. It's going to be great. It's going to be glorious. And Paul says part of this secret to self-control is remembering that Jesus is coming back, looking forward to Jesus coming back, looking ahead to Jesus coming back. Now, do you remember? Do you remember that word that I mentioned to keep in mind? Appeared? Because that Paul started this paragraph with the word appeared. And now, look at here it is again. The appearing of the glory of Jesus. Now, this is a literary device called sandwiching. And the, the Bible authors, it was really popular back when, when the Bible was written. And so the Bible authors use this technique a lot. And what it is, is you put something here and something here and then something really important in the middle. Like any good sandwich, it's the meat, okay? Pardon all the vegetarians out there. But put something here, something here, and then the really important thing right in the middle. That's called sandwiching. So Jesus, God's grace appeared, and then Jesus will appear, and right in the middle of it is say, this ability to say no. And what Paul did here is he surrounded the concept of saying no with Christ. He surrounded the concept of saying no, the ability, the strength, the determination to say no he enveloped it, he sandwiched it with Christ. God's grace, the greatest act of God's grace was Jesus Christ, and then Christ's return to take his people home. And that's called sandwiching. So as you're reading the Bible, if you ever read something and then read a little repeated thing after, look what's in between. It's usually the secret to the whole passage. Now, this idea of, of looking for Jesus' return, looking ahead, waiting, okay, isn't waiting kind of the crux of self-control? Think about that, that self-control is this idea that there is something worth waiting for. Jesus' return is something worth waiting for. Self-control, no matter what the area, pick any of those six. Every one of them has this idea that something is worth waiting for. There is something temporary that feels good or looks good or tastes good, but there is something better if we can wait for it. And that, I think, is why Paul draws our attention to the second coming of Christ. Because if we could keep our hearts set on something ahead, if we could get used to waiting for something better, how much easier is it going to be to say no to something now when we know there's something better? Okay? So, so we've got this sandwiched idea of the appearing, and, the, and that says the big point is the no. And that, and Paul surrounds this no, the ability to say no, with Christ. He surrounds it 
And now, he brings it home. This is the big finale. Here it is with the last couple phrases. Now, to explain, explain what he's doing, he kind of explains this idea of being surrounded with Christ. Here it is. Verse 14, if you're following along. Verse 14. So, again, referring to Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. Jesus gave himself to us to redeem us from all wickedness. Now, redeem is a word that means to buy back. It can, be, it can also kind of be thought of as to free something or someone from captivity. So it's this idea that Jesus died. He paid the penalty, the consequences of your wrongs, what the Bible calls sins. He paid those consequences to free us from the power and the punishment of sin. So that's, that's Jesus Christ died. That is the power of, of this, uh, the redemption, the redeeming us from wickedness. So Jesus died to free us from wickedness. Jesus died to free us, to free you from one more drink. Jesus died to free you from, let's go out for a smoke. Jesus Christ died to free you from the porn you're trying to stop watching. Jesus Christ died to free you from your binging. Whether that's Netflix, whether it's eating, whether it's drinking, whatever binging. Jesus Christ died to free you, to redeem you from the power of the thing that seems to have, have control over you. And I think all of us have something that feels like it has control over us. Jesus Christ died to free us from that. Jesus Christ died to free you from that. Say no to the bad stuff. But Christ also empowers us to say yes to the good stuff. Look at the second half of, of verse 14. And to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now, does that describe you? Eager to do what is good? That did not exactly describe my week this week. <laughs> I was eager to reward and comfort myself. I was not all too eager to do good. And, and maybe you are. Maybe, maybe you have a great sense of doing good. But my guess is that feels a long way off from where you're living right now. But again, Jesus Christ purifies us to make us his own, to make you his own, so that we can be eager to do what is good. And the more Jesus purifies you, the more you actually want to do good. The more Jesus purifies me, the more I actually want to do good. The more I want to say yes to being patient and loving with my spouse. The more I want to say yes to taking care of this body that God put me in charge of for 80 plus years. The more I want to say yes to loving my family, to holding my tongue. The more I want to say yes to all of the stuff that's good for you, good for your family, good for our country, good for our world. So 
So let's sum all of this up. Let's take this whole verse, let's sum it all up. And here we go, okay? Self-control, the ability to say no, first and foremost comes by being surrounded by Christ. Sandwiched by Christ, and you're there in the middle. So let me ask you, are you surrounded by Christ? Have you put him all around your life, all around your head, all around your heart? Have you sandwiched yourself right there in the middle, surrounded by Christ's? With Christ's love, Christ's forgiveness. We've got to be surrounded. And, and in that, as we sandwich ourselves in Christ, on one hand, we anchor ourselves in God's grace. Because you know what God's grace tells us? You know what God's grace teaches us? It's not about us. Remember, God's grace is what we don't deserve. When we focus on the things we earn, the things we deserve, the, the, when we focus on the stuff that comes out of our work, we make it about us. That's why self-control is actually a bit of a misnomer because it puts all of the emphasis on the self. And it's not. The self is sandwiched in between a whole lot of Jesus. And Jesus is the one. So on one hand, focus on God's grace given to you through Jesus Christ. And then on the other hand, focus on Christ's return. And learn to wait for something better versus something that looks and feels good in the moment. Self-control is possible. It is possible because the power doesn't come from us. The power comes from Jesus. The power comes from Jesus. And Jesus wants you to be free of the thing you don't feel you can be free from. And there's something in your head right now when I say that, when I say that phrase, that there is something that Jesus wants to free you from, the thing that you don't feel you can be free from, the thing, thing you feel has controlled you and is controlling you, there's something in your head right now. And it's, gonna, and it's different from all of you, different for all of you. But Jesus wants to and can free you from that. What it means is saying yes. For some of you, it means saying yes to Jesus. Not just saying yes to church, not just saying yes to being good, not just saying yes to trying harder, but saying yes to Jesus. You are my God. You are my Savior. And for some of you, it means saying yes again. You've said yes, maybe a lot of times over the course of your life, and that's okay. But maybe it means saying yes again. Saying, okay, I'm not, and confessing, I'm not sandwiched between you, God. I've got a whole lot of me surrounding me. I need a whole lot more Jesus surrounding me. Maybe that's your prayer for this morning. And your confession is to say, okay, God, help me reorient my life. I've surrounded my life with me. I need to surround my, my life with some Christ. Whole lot of Christ at the top, a whole lot of Christ at the bottom, and sticking you right in the middle of the sandwich. And letting God's grace, letting Christ's return surround you.
because self-control is possible. Despite my terrible week, despite maybe your terrible week, self-control is possible, but I think we go about it the wrong way. So my encouragement to you this morning, surround yourself with Christ. What that looks like for you might be a little different than what it looks like for the person sitting next to you. Surround yourself with Christ and allow him to give you the ability to say no to the bad stuff, say yes to the good stuff. Join me in prayer. God, it is your desire that we live godly lives. God, for your followers, you call us to something that feels kind of impossible sometimes. Lord, but it's, it feels impossible because we try to do it. So, Lord, I confess personally, and I confess for River Life collectively, for our failed independence in controlling our lives. So we turn to you. We give you control over our lives, over our decisions, over our failures, over our weaknesses, over our addictions, over the things that feel like they control us. And I call upon the power of Christ for every person here, in every one of their lives, every one of their hearts. So Jesus Christ, meet each person here. Speak to each person here. Hear their prayers. Hear them cry out and call out to you for help. And you are there. So God, we thank you that you are faithful despite our faithlessness. You are good despite all that we do. And you love us, not for anything that we do, but exactly for who we are, your creation. So I pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.